I'm your host, Nancy Trader. Welcome to the Stop Digging Podcast, where we'll help you dig out of whatever hole you're in. Here, you can connect with experts to listen and learn from their experience and get advice for your challenges in business, wellness organizations, and relationships. Here, you can borrow from others and find what you need to create the life and work you want. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm doing great. can't believe it's December already. I know. Wow, the year went by fast. Can you believe that we've done all these episodes, talked about a lot of things? <laughs> it has been a blast working with you, Nancy, as always. And I'm just loving all of our guests and the people that we've had on our show. I know. Wow. You've been keeping me on my toes with these amazing guests that we've been speaking to. And back at you. <laughs> you know, as we get to the end of the year, it's always like a time of reflection and assessment for me and the people I work with. And often I go through this little checklist in my mind, like, what did I do? Well, it's kind of like Santa, right? And I'm always trying to improve and wondering, how do I measure up with other people or other businesses? And I was wondering, what do you know about how businesses are doing. Did you find anything? I did. You researched? I did. Yeah, that's that's me, boring research girl. But that's okay. I love this stuff. Not boring. I'm always fascinated by the term entrepreneurship because a, a lot of people, when they hear that term, they automatically eliminate themselves from it. But the bottom line is we're talking about the birth of a business, right? Somebody has an idea and you think it's a good enough idea that other people might want to be part of that idea. And so how you launch it, who you're launching it to, what the expectation for involvement is, is all part of it. And that's what we do at A Squared. So I'm always fascinated when new information comes out. I have some information about the trends of entrepreneurship in America in 2023, both March and September. So let me just share a little bit of it. The last five years or so, the fastest growing entrepreneur is a Hispanic woman. Oh, wow. That that has continued. But I will say that some additional information in the last couple of years since COVID has actually increased and changed some of that. So I'm going to quote two sources of research. One is a Washington Post article in September that summarizes the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, which is a report that's put out by Babson College every year. And then also the RAND report, which did an in-depth study on entrepreneurship and leadership. Mm. That's dated March of 2023. And a couple of things that they found. First of all, the biggest area of research right now for entrepreneurship is what makes an entrepreneur leader successful. And there's still a lot more data that still needs to go out there. But we automatically build that into our programs at A-Squared. So I, I wasn't worried about that because we, we already have that covered. But right now, as of 2023, the fastest growing groups of entrepreneurs are women, minorities, and marginalized workers. These are people that maybe have had an incarceration that can't find employment or people that have been displaced by a company or a location that has changed for them that they can't find work. So they're starting their own. And so why are they doing that? Why is it easier for them to start their own business? You know, that's a good question. I do a lot of career coaching. And as a career coach, people inherently know that they have value. And they they run into problems when other people don't recognize it, (laughs) whether Mm -hmm. it's a company or coworkers or a team 
when they don't feel like they're being recognized or rewarded for that. And that's a very human feeling. So when you're not getting that, whether it's because you don't have a job or other people aren't giving you a chance, you create your own opportunities. Acecord has a great meme that I, I have on all of our social media that has a picture of a door. And it says, when one door closes, and underneath it, it says, turn the knob. <laughs> that's how doors work. And, and I think that's a very human thing. If a door closes, open the door. That's just a human thing. So finding that opportunity, and if, it, if you can't see one, they're creating their own. And that is one of the signs of an entrepreneur is that you are trying to find opportunities that give your idea or yourself a way forward to walk through that door, to get your abilities, your ideas, your values, your passion recognized and rewarded somewhere. Mm, yeah, that makes total sense based on the time frame that you're talking about and like all the technology and everything that's available now. So and for the first time in America, blacks and Hispanics as entrepreneurs, the, the numbers have increased that they represent about 30% of all entrepreneurial startups. That is phenomenal. That's amazing. It is. That's a large number of people. But also the types of entrepreneurship has also changed. Now, when we're talking about entrepreneurship just at A Squared, we're really looking at non-tech startups. These are creative startups. There's a lot of funding, a lot of focus on STEM and technology-specific startups. The problem that entrepreneurs typically have is that if you're not one of those startups, it's very difficult to get seen or to secure funding. Now, a majority right now of all startups are non-payroll generating startups. Mm -hmm. What that means is that primarily the startup is to generate an income for the owner or entrepreneur, him or herself. That is very different. And so the mindset and the planning can sometimes fall through the cracks because if it's just you things get put aside. There may be an aspiration, but you're not having to meet payroll. So the pressure to push forward can sometimes be lagging and it prolongs the launch. And sometimes it prolongs the learning curve for the leader. Being self-generative for a salary, the type of entrepreneur has changed as well. Most entrepreneurs now are full-time workers and they're doing a side gig launch that also detracts from the potentially the successful launch of, of a side gig business. Because of the time, the energy put into it, it, it can extend the launch so that by the time everything's in place to earn money, the magic of the startup launch has faded. And then finding new customers after you've already tapped out all of your family, friends, <laughs> people you know, communities can be the next step that that you're not prepared to take because you haven't done all the front end work. And I will say this as well, that in these studies, entrepreneurship or new business startups, the birth of new businesses, it's trending upward. It's about 500,000 businesses every single year in America. So it's been trending up. However, we also need to look at another number. And that is that the percentage of businesses that are closing is significantly higher than it has been ever. There's a definite gap 
You want to start your business off right. You want to launch it right to the right people doing the right things for your particular strategy as a leader and be able to sustain it, right, beyond the three to five years. The biggest spike in entrepreneurism actually happened during COVID in the first quarter of 2020. But most of those businesses are now out of business three years later, right? So, you know, there's some tools, there's some things you can do, there's some things to avoid. And ultimately, if you're going to go through birthing a business, there's some incubation that needs to happen first so that your business, when it's born, can survive and thrive and learn how to function and operate as an entity in and of itself. And anyone who's a parent knows that things take time, growth takes time, but there are certain check marks, there's certain markers, and there's certain developmental benchmarks. Like you started off talking about benchmarks, comparing yourself to other businesses. There there's certain benchmarks that are similar across all businesses. And so at A Squared, that's why we started. That's one of the reasons we're really trying to help people because we are just so tired of seeing great ideas and talented people fail for simple things that could just be addressed on the front end. Well, that's great, Susan. Thank you. I'm surprised by some of these numbers. I mean, it's not surprising that we had this explosion of new businesses during COVID because everybody was locked in and there was this huge amount of pent-up creativity. I can't tell you how many times I saw TikTok videos of people dancing and doing all these things. You know, yeah, sorry like, about that, public. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Because we thought, oh, you know, we're all on vacation, <laughs> sort of. We have free time. Uh, I think I'm going to learn how to play piano. I'm going to learn how to bake, all these things. And from that, businesses were born. I, as a journalist, over the last couple of years, I've been interviewing a lot of people, and I was um, – wasn't surprised by the number of people who started their business during COVID, but I was surprised by how they use their time. Some of them really took the time to assess and develop their business plan, create a business, and then launch it. And they're still going. You know, it's only been three years for them, but getting past the five-year mark is that magic number, right? So, Knowing now that 30% of new businesses in non-tech are in the Black and Hispanic communities, that's really, really exciting. And when you were talking about people who have to create their own business, you know, especially if someone who's been marginalized, they are in control, basically. That's what it comes down to, right? Being able Which can be good and bad. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole other layer of responsibility that you don't have when you're in your job. But you also get all of the benefits at the end. And so like the great thing about A Squared is that now there are different ways to plug in to the organization. If you are like a solo entrepreneur or maybe you have a small business, you know, multiple people working for you or whatever the structure is, there's a place for that business to get the support, the tools and in the education to succeed. Because I, I agree with you, far too many businesses fail because they're undercapitalized, they're understaffed. Under-strategized. Under-strategized. There's no plan. <laughs> A large amount of passion, but there's more to it than being passionate. And then what's so interesting is like with creatives, creatives have a lot of passion and they just want to do the stuff. They just want to make the things or perform or whatever it is. And the business side of life really gets us down. So 
that's where you have to kind of figure out the business model and learn those tools and processes so we can avoid those pitfalls. I've helped so many creatives in that way because they get discouraged. There are excellent resources out there. You know, the Small Business Association is is one. People tend to run to them or the American Management Association or, you know, some other things. Sometimes even like the university business development centers. They're not exactly business incubators, but, you know, they, they try to be. But they're excellent resources. But what ends up happening is that they get you signed up for all of this stuff. And it can be soul killing. Because if you feel as a creative that you have to have an MBA in financial reports just to be successful, and that ends up taking up your time. It, it just chips away at the, the passion that you have to get your idea out there. And so I've worked with a number of people where we found ways of simplifying to accomplish what they need to, something that is consistent with who they are as people and what they're willing or want to do. You don't have to do everything, but everything does need to be done. Mm, I like that. Well, that, that's kind of a good segue because we did a cool little survey and we mm-hmm. asked people that we knew who were business owners or sole entrepreneurs and we asked them w- about many things about their business. And here are some of the things. The first thing we asked was about strengths, their business organization, organization strengths. It was like 10 different questions that were things like what kind of business concept or idea did they have? What was their revenue model like? Customer portfolio or identity? Their knowledge of the market and such. And so, Susan, what are some of the things that you noticed that popped out at you on this? It was very typical, actually, of everything I know about why businesses typically fail. And there's a huge knowledge gap on the input side of businesses from the business model and understanding where the ups and downs of the trends are. So if you're product-based, for example, do you understand the bell curve of your product? Because if you don't, you're not going to know when you need to actually launch a second product to keep your, your business afloat, right? Because there's a diminishing returns, correct? If You know, you're a service model. It's not just about the competition. It's also about a whole host of other things. And if you're not aware of that and you're not tracking that, you can fall through the cracks. The answers that they gave for their strengths were actually pretty, pretty standard. The people who are entrepreneurs who own businesses are passionate, right? So the thing that they scored the highest on that they thought was their biggest strength was their own branding. I know there's a lot of buzzwords out there right now, especially with social media, with branding. Branding is basically creating an emotional connection between your company's reputation and potential customers. So when they think of the thing that you do, the service or the product, who do they think of? Well, their emotional connection is is going to be based on success of your branding. When you say insurance, immediately everybody's going to go one of two places, either two hands being held out 
Allstate is there, or uh, we'll leave the light on for you, or Geico lizards. The lizard, the green lizard. I'm going to go for him because he's cute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's an emotional connection for that brand. And it could be the same for whatever your business is. So everybody, except I think one or two people, really said that their biggest strength was branding. And that makes perfect sense because in a non-tech startup, your passion is coming through for your business. You know, that emotional connection, you're establishing that that's where your heart is. So that that was not surprising. And it was encouraging because that's what make, helps make a successful business. It's not the only thing, but it is one thing. Well, and what I liked about it too is that people are a lot more savvy now. They're learning so much about how to promote themselves. Everyone's got a, you know, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube channel, which is great. And they create a lot of content because they're passionate. But when you've been doing that for a while, it takes a lot of energy to do that. We tend to neglect some of the other things in our business, or we just don't know what we don't know, right, to help our business. To speak to your point, authenticity has everything to do with with correct branding. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can capture a bunch of great things on social media that are somewhat related to your business, but it may not be necessarily on point with the reputation in your industry or for your business that you want to create. Like you said, because your marketing expert and you've worked in PR and journalism and marketing, all of these things, people are savvy. So they know when they're being manipulated. <laughs> you can't throw a lot of candy out on the table and try to sell it as food. And every business is selling something different, right? So the approach is different. So if you're selling a business service that you have to relate to your audience in a certain way that's going to resonate with them, as opposed to, oh, I've got a cookie startup, cookie deliveries. That is a completely different marketing. It's like, I am human. I like cookies. I'm your audience, right? (laughs) In my mind, I've already bought three dozen. (laughs) It's an easier sell when it's a little indulgence as opposed to insurance or something. I'm always surprised by how many people who don't insure for certain reasons. And it's because when the message was there, they didn't hear the message when it was being delivered or they didn't get the message when they needed it. There's all of that involved with marketing and promoting. We had another question, which was about weaknesses. Was there anything that was surprising or was it typical again? Well, one of the answers was typical. And that is a marketing plan or market planning. That is one of the weaknesses that many businesses have because it's neglected in your business planning and your strategic planning if you happen to be a successful business who does that as a regular practice. Now, we teach all of our startups how to do a correct business plan that takes that into account. And when you do a strategic plan, you know, three, four years later, you have to look at all of that again and relaunch that stuff. It's absolutely key because that's how you you keep on point. That's where you get your customer conversions. That was typical. What I will say, it's hard to surprise me, but what was surprising is that everybody answered that their second greatest weakness was an effective revenue model. But they also answered that it was their strength and their weakness. And I'll just read the definition that we have for a revenue model that we use. Steadies income levels into a continuous profit cycle. Okay. A lot of people can make money seasonally, right? 
what do you do the rest of the time? Does your business plan take that into account? I created a business model. It's an organizational ecosystem. And on the front end, it addresses three specific areas and two ways of communicating that information into your organization so that you're learning all the time and you can track that information. And one of them is just knowing where where your audience is and who you're talking to. Does it have potential for growth? Where does it need to grow? Um, growth doesn't just happen organically. It happens because you've planted the right seed in the right ground with the right pH to produce the right thing that people want. You can launch a product. You can launch a service by scattering seed everywhere. But, you know, sometimes when I encounter people that I'm coaching or consulting with, I just ask them to do that. Do that for yourself. Go buy a bag of seeds, a couple dollars worth, throw them out in your lawn, see what grows. You'll water it every single day. And I can almost guarantee that you might get a sprout or two and it'll quickly die, right? And was it worth the effort? But if you dig a hole in your lawn and you, you put a little bit of soil in that, and you take those seeds and you only plant seeds in that little space and you water only that little space, I can guarantee they will all come up and about maybe a third of them will actually produce plants. And that's what you want to do is you really want to focus your revenue model. Your revenue model is what you use to make sure that you're only planting your seeds in that one little space. So it's more likely to grow more likely to convert an audience into a client or a customer and that it's authentically and organically supporting what your business does. Right. And then the business plan, which you update each year continuously and use that marketing strategy, supports the continual growth of that revenue stream that you've planted. But I think what happens is we kind of get distracted by everything that we have to do because a lot and of desperate and desperate. Yeah. Because when you have a great plan in place and you've invested all this money and you're, you're about to launch whatever it is, your sale or whatever, <laughs> and, and nobody shows up to your party or only three people show up to your party, you panic. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this from marketing, cause you've oh, told yeah. me some stories. <laughs> Feel free to share a few now, but I just want to take it back to the beginning when, well, we were in college and, you know, we were dipping our toes in the water of doing things. I think it's just really basic, like having an event, for example. I remember doing movie night and this can be like any service or product that you want to sell. But for us, it was movie night and I planned this movie night. I picked the movie, I got the auditorium, had paid for everything. And then it was movie night and no one was showing up. I was like, oh my gosh, we'd done the posters and everything. So what do I do? I go to the doors. I'm like banging on every door. Come on, come on. There's movie night, movie <laughs> night, free candy, free popcorn, <laughs> bring your blanket, put on your pajamas. I was in that desperation mode of getting people to come to this thing that I had planned for them. What I didn't realize at the time was that it wasn't the right timing. Oh, it should have been done like perhaps right after 
uh, midterms or something. That Friday mm. after midterms, so everyone was like, ah, oh, you know, they want to relax or that weekend. Maybe a dance or something would have been better at that time. But knowing when the timing is, because then the audience mm. is ready for it, right? It's having a product. What I always tell people is fulfilling a need that the client has. And so I learned about planning things and then being desperate. That really started when, you know, we were really young in college and then moving that forward, you know, later in life to starting a business and then realizing, oh, where's my audience? Who are the people who need my product? When I started my first business as a photographer, everyone needs photography. And this was 25 years ago. (laughs) Not everyone had digital cameras. They weren't around yet. And so we still needed these professional photographers. It was a very viable business, but there was a lot of money involved in getting started. So it was a high barrier to entry. I started off as a wedding photographer because they needed photography for their wedding day. But the thing was, I just come out of the army as a photojournalist, so I knew nothing about profit. I was all passion. And then my husband was like doing my books. And he'd say, you know, you didn't make very much money on this one. Do you realize how much money you're making? No, but I I booked 10 weddings. And he (laughs) says, oh, yeah, but you don't make any money. What what do you think you would have done different? What I should have done was gone to some classes on how to manage my business through the Small Business Association. Because the SBA in my community, which was Seattle, they had really great classes and local retired business owners were there with really good experience. And the reason I found out about them, and I'd already been in business probably 10 years, was they asked me to photograph one of their events. And once I learned about them, then I connected with one of their coaches and he helped me quite a bit. And the thing that I needed at that point was, you know, I'd been running my business for about 10 years at that point. But what I needed was, how do I get to the next level? And going to the next level needed planning, strategy, consulting, coaches, mentoring, and getting clients, taking on jobs that were going to make me better at what I was doing because of the challenge, but also position me into a different market so that it could be financially viable for me. Well, to speak to what you had already communicated about doing so many weddings and then still not having a good profit margin, that speaks directly to revenue model. One of the 10 reasons why businesses fail is because they have emotional pricing. Yeah, that's exactly where I was. And that's a problem because you you think you're being competitive and what you're actually doing is making sure that your business doesn't succeed on its own. Right. And and I think the other thing is in order to get over that emotional pricing, I had a personal hurdle. And the personal hurdle was I would never pay that much for wedding photography. Mm-hmm. I went to this class and it was about learning to value. Once I went through this course and I went to other subsequent classes, I realized that after analyzing other people, that I was good at what I did. People were noticing my work. My work had changed quite a bit. And that's when I realized I wasn't charging enough. A person actually told me, you know, you're not charging enough. You need to double your rates. And I thought, oh my gosh, I cannot double my rates. And they said, just put in a package that is double. And when you sell it, increase it again. So I did that. And sure enough, I sold it twice. 
Hello, friends. Thanks for listening. A-Squared Lamp Groups powers this podcast. Their memberships are tax-deductible donations that directly support their work developing people and organizations. But just for you, they're offering podcast listeners a special 40% off coupon code to join. Your benefits as a member include additional resources, perks, and access that you can use all year, including an additional 30 minutes of bonus podcast content for every episode. Simply use the code for listeners at checkout. That's the number four, all caps, listeners at checkout. They also are giving our listeners free gifts to use now. Go to their website, asquaredlamps.org forward slash podcast and download your free My Success Course of Action worksheet. There is no cost, registration, or sales pitch involved. Just click it and save. Use it to work on something significant to you this month, maybe even something that sparks interest from today's podcast. Then click to join our free but private Stop Digging Podcast LinkedIn group, where the conversation continues between you, the hosts, and our guests. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And now back to the program. So, you know, when we're talking about emotional pricing, that doesn't mean that you're an emotional person. It just, it means that you've analyzed everything and think that you will get more business by pricing it within a certain range. And, and if you price it differently, what it does is it messes up where you need to launch. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that they're all related. When we pull things out like a revenue model, and people selected that as a, both a strength and a weakness, it, it was a strength because they already have customers. They're in business, right? So whatever they're doing, they're actually in business and they're making something from their customers. So that is a strength. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. It's also a weakness Because where do the next clients come from? If you grow, are you changing your market? Are you changing your ideal client? Are you changing, like, what are the moving pieces and where where do they lead? Because you don't want to undo what you've already done. Mm -hmm. Most people don't think about this because on the front end, like, we walk people through when they're thinking about it. But if your idea is priced out of the market, you're in the wrong market and you can spend all of your time marketing to people that will never spend that money. Mm -hmm. You also made an amazing distinction between what your market was and what you would do. You might not be in your own market that you're selling to. (laughs) That's happened to me before too. You know, it's like you want to sell something, but I would never pay that. So you feel guilty, maybe a little inauthentic to ask someone else who's in a different market to do that. But that, that's part of that internalization that entrepreneurs have. And it's typically mostly found or mostly highlighted when I work with women. Yeah. Women yeah. internalize that and they're always judging that from their own perspective as a consumer. Right. We were talking about this before. And this is a conversation I've had with so many of my friends because when I first started in photography, it was predominantly male dominated. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was so interesting was 
I would meet other women and we would instantly connect and we'd help each other and like, oh, you know, can you come help me at my wedding? Okay, great. And I'll help you at yours. And that way we didn't have to pay for assistance and stuff. And we would share equipment and I could call anyone and say, hey, does anyone have a blue background I can borrow or whatever? When I started becoming more popular because I was a solo person doing photography, I would refer any wedding that I couldn't do to my, you know, three, four friends and shared the wealth basically. So they were benefiting from all of the marketing that I was doing. And also they were at the same level of photography that I was. It was just, you know, who was available, what's the good match and all that. But what I found, they found a completely, almost completely opposite experience with a lot of men when I first entered the field as a civilian photographer. I don't want to disparage anyone, but, but, but I didn't feel that kinship or with them because there were people who gave me bad advice and because they just didn't want me to succeed. And it was so frustrating because they would send me off on some goose chase or down some trail and I'd totally lose money on it. Or they'd tell me the wrong equipment to use because they were intimidated by me. We have to find the right people to support us, especially when we are individuals And that was part of the reason why my business didn't grow for a long time beyond where I was at, because I didn't have that system of support. Well, you know, you, you've spoken directly to my heart, honestly, because a community of support is how we learn now, you know, not to get into male or female, but you know, men need that too. Yeah. It's just different. Mm -hmm. It's very different. (laughs) Right. One way is not better than another. Right. But but you do need to have that that level of support and interaction. We do learning at a at a team level. We do individual coaching, we do team coaching through our membership. I do consulting, you do consulting. Next year we'll be launching a more group coaching model and group consulting model to kind of deal with all of the business issues that we're talking about today and and maybe in the future. Um, the way to grow is not by Googling things, taking classes and reading books all by yourself. The way to learn <laughs> relevant learning, and we are a business education learning organization. The way to actually learn is to take all of that stuff and apply it in a group of people that can hold you accountable and challenge you and question it. Did you really learn it? Why did you do that when you know that this works? What if I told you that best practices are this? Is that guru still relevant for you? It may be a good book, but what if it doesn't apply to what you should be doing? And you you can't get that. You can't be challenged. You can't be supported. You can't do any of that without without people. Right. And, and, and such a good point because so many times I... I just did not have the confidence to go beyond, to to level up, basically. My husband was in a corporation, and he was always telling me about the, the, the best model is to the right and up. You know, you want the hockey puck or the hockey stick. It was like, after five years, you need to sell your business. You need to grow, 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 sell. But the thing is, when I was hearing that type of business talk all the time, it made me feel like I wasn't successful. That whole concept, oh, you got to keep growing, keep growing. Sometimes I think we just need to be good at what we do and grow at the level that we're able to manage it. Because I saw 
there was a, a woman that I worked with about, I don't know, 15 years ago, and she was selling these handbags and they're really beautiful. Her market was basically moms and they were these beautiful bags and nice design. They're waterproof and very sturdy and everything. And people loved them. And she had great like celebrity clients and everything. And then a group of investors came along and said, oh, you know, you really need to go big. Was working with her to do photography and helping her with her marketing. And I said, you know, you really don't need to, you don't need a storefront. She said, oh, I need a storefront. And I said, nah, you're going to spend so much money on that storefront. And all your money is going to go into that. You're going to lose your profit. You don't want to lose sight of who you are. Well, we get excited and, you know, she opened her business and unfortunately within a year, her whole business was gone and she had spent a good 10 years developing her business. And I felt really bad for her because she had a great product that people loved, but she was highly influenced by these outsiders who saw an opportunity to, from her business and she was vulnerable Well, that's, yeah. And that's the other thing too. You don't want to work alone. You don't want to launch alone, but you also need to know who not to be around. And and that doesn't mean toxic people. That means you don't have to take every class at the SBA. You you don't have to take all all of this training. You don't have to have a degree in order to launch. People create these obstacles and things that they think that they need to do to be successful. And it's all about relevancy and timing. You don't need to take 15 business classes before you launch. You need to identify what you're launching and where you're launching at first. And that's what we help people do. We walk them through that process. But once you have that figured out, then you get organized. Then you address what you can. When you start off small, it's manageable. If it grows beyond that, you can look at other solutions. One of the top 10 reasons why businesses fail is because they spend money on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Undercapitalized. <laughs> it's because they're, they're vulnerable. When you first start out, you're small and you want to seem like you're bigger. You have a lot of you invested in that and, and you want to feel successful. And you become a target and become very vulnerable to every kind of app, system, partnership, investment on earth because everyone wants you and it feels good, but what they really want is you to spend money on their product. They want your money. And that's why it's so important to be involved in a support group and to be honest with them. If you can't afford a coach, be in that support group of people who have lots of experience and, and to be open and honest when you, you know, meet with them, when they ask you, how are things going? And because oftentimes we don't want to say, oh, well, you know, I did this and it didn't work out. It's pride. And I fell victim to that many times. But when I had a good coach in my corner saying, don't spend your money on that because that's a waste of money. Or, oh, that person, they might be teaching this system, but they don't actually use it. When I learned that about somebody, my mind was blown. I thought, oh my gosh, I've been using their process. And Mm. then I found out, oh no, they don't live by what they teach. That was a game changer for me. And so within my little network, I started sharing what I knew and then they shared with me and then we were able to avoid some of these pitfalls. And that's where I saw some growth where I could go to the next level. 
having that group is so, so important. That's I just love that about A squared because there's so much there for all of us, no matter where we are in our business, what level of development, and there's always more to learn and you're a wonderful coach. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I enjoy working with you. And, and as you know, cause you, you consult with a lot of businesses and work with a lot of people and businesses, you know, <laughs> I always laugh because if you watch the media and they're always talking about big business and how evil they are, well, you know, businesses are made up of people and they have aspirations. It's just, how do you get there? And just helping people to get there is hugely satisfying. We've seen a lot over the years. You've experienced a lot. You are a serial entrepreneur <laughs> and you've had a lot of creativity and, and impact. I know I had a business for a while and, and ended up closing that, I think in 2010. But, you know, just working with people that have great ideas, it's not just about the excitement it's about slowing them down enough to get the foundations. Yes. And then it's amazing. Once you have a foundation that is solid and secure, what you do with the building itself can take any shape. And if you need to change something because of the market change or a client change or a need up or down, add a room, knock down a wall, but it's all happening on a sturdy firm foundation. That being said, th- this will be airing in December of the holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, a few other holidays. When you put the survey together, we didn't just leave it at what are your business's strengths and weaknesses, right? And we had our, our whole list out there. We also asked them a couple of other questions. At this time of year, we started off talking about in this program about gratitude. And I... I would love it if you just kind of talked about what businesses and business owners were actually thankful for. That was really a great, great question. You know, some of the things that they mentioned was they were really grateful for the connections that they made. I truly love that as well. I'm a connecting type of person. They said they liked meeting new women and helping them. Uh, They appreciated their guests that returned. Uh, One person said they were most grateful to have an investor partner who I have a great relationship. Oh, that one really just spoke to my heart. That's powerful. When you, when you find someone who's totally in sync with you, it's so validating. And I wish all partnerships were that way, but I've worked with some people that have made mistakes in choosing a partner. It was not a good thing. I've been there. I've had a partnership that didn't work out. So I really appreciate this. Um, Some of their comments were like having a full staff because it's been really hard getting staff and keeping them and having a good client base that you can work with. Someone else just said having substantial jobs from former clients who respected their work at a time when the industry slowed down. That's really important. It goes back to that whole having a business model and a strategy on how to work during downtimes. Oh, this one was really good. I love this one. We have a great team and we're helping lots of teens make college a reality, debt-free, coast to coast. (laughs) That one comes from our friend, Greg. (laughs) Let me tell you what I love about this. My heart sang. This was kind of like my Christmas present to read all of the things that these business owners were grateful for. They're all about people. Yes. Business is about people. And so many times 
Yes, businesses need to make money or they're not businesses. Yes, nonprofits need to be funded or they're not functioning nonprofits. There are realities, but you know, it is an oversimplification and it does a disservice to say business is only about money. Yes. Because it is so much more. It is about people. And you have to be a people person to be successful in business. So many times when I'm working with a new entrepreneur, half the coaching is just coaching leadership and development qualities that they need to be able to interact with people the way they need to, to be successful. I love their gratitude list because that's just an insight into their heart, the heart of a business owner, just being thankful for their staff, their team, their leaders, their customers, their clients. It's, it's what gives them the high. Yes. It's that connection with other people when we're all in sync and in flow and when we create, communicate and deliver something that people need when they need it. That to me has always kind of been the hallmark of why I'm in whatever business I'm doing at the time. Right. I hope that People will come to our website. Asquaredlamps.org, all spelled out. A-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D-L-A-M-P-S.org. Everybody is their own lamp. You have your own light. If you come to us, we just help you shine it where it needs to be shown. And, And to be honest, just check us out. There's a way to check us out through our individual membership. So if you're not sure about getting involved, getting your business involved at our corporate membership level for consulting, that's fine. Just dip your toe in. Do do an individual membership. Experiment. We load the back end with a bunch of member benefits that gives you access to personal growth and development. We have a monthly coaching meeting where you can Talk about the previous month and set your intentions for the upcoming month. That can be helpful and give some accountability. That's included. We have a lot of of access to things that give you insight into yourself and, and what you can do on your own. Everybody has an aspiration, not just for their business, but for themselves. And if you can start off with yourself, that's a perfect place to start. You are your business. So when you're ready to dig in, and plant those seeds for success for your business. Reach out to us. Find us on our website. You can listen to these more of these episodes. And if you have membership, then you can listen to the bonus segments. And no matter where you are, we're here for you. And we hope you have a great day and wonderful holiday season. And we wish you success and good fortune in the new year. Just before we leave, you know, we're going to enter into our bonus section and we're going to actually address some very specific issues about solving some of the weaknesses that our businesses who took our survey identified. And that is marketing plans, effective marketing plans and putting one together. We're also going to be talking about a couple of revenue models much more in detail. This is a part of our bonus content. If you're interested in that and you'd like to know more Join as an individual member and we'll get you onto our bonus membership content list so that you can hear that. If you have any further questions about our consulting level membership, please reach out directly to our podcast host, Nancy, 
is N Trader. That's N is in Nancy. T R E D E R at a squared lamps.org. And if you send her an email, she'll keep you in the list. You'll get first dibs on, on our boot camp that we're going to be launching pretty soon. And because we're in the holiday season, just before we click the stop record button for our first segment, Nancy, would you mind playing Santa Claus for a moment? Okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to be your little elf because we did put a holiday question on our questionnaire. Yes. If you, business owners, could ask Santa for one Christmas wish for your business, what would that be? Well, I'm checking my list here of who's your naughty uh, and nice list. I'm assuming that all of our survey takers are on the nice uh, list. Susan, I don't see your name here. Oh, wait a minute. It's at the very <laughs> Okay. You just well, that list. figures. <laughs> okay. Yeah, these are great wishes here. They said more people in their holiday challenge. This was from a personal trainer. Oh, someone to do social media for me. Oh, we might be able to help them with that one. Take yeah, note of that. Maybe. Another feasible project. I like that. They wish that nobody would quit. Oh, my goodness. Someone in the service every, industry, obviously. Every uh, business leader's uh, <laughs> deepest desire is that their staff would just stop quitting on them. Uh, here's one. Successful forays into new media versus small subsidiaries. Okay. I'm going to have to dig into that one. Insightful mm-hmm. marketing. And the last one is additional funding so we can scale our impact So, wow, a lot of really thoughtful wishes there that definitely from business owners. And hopefully we can help people achieve some of those. It's all on you, Santa. It's all on you. What what are you going to bring in this year? (laughs) You know, your wish may be granted, but you're going to have to do a little work. Oh, (laughs) that's a great answer. And that that wisdom from our Santa Claus, our resident A-squared Santa Claus. Thank you, Nancy. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, everyone, we wish you well. Have a great end of the year and we will see you in January. Yep. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Stop Digging Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please like, subscribe, and share with a friend and connect with us on our social media channels. This podcast is powered by asquaredlamps.org.